0: Into the internet tubes, we have Chris Abel. Hello! Uh, 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 he's a gadget slinger and an astronaut. Mm-hmm. I like astronaut. That's a, gadget slinger has been kicking around for a while, but astronaut is pretty good. I like that. <laughs> um, I'm the unshaven Richard Krause, a purveyor of opinions. Some of those opinions are wanted, others not so much. But uh, I will be sharing some of those with you today. Cool. Yeah.
1: Uh, I love
0: the unshaven look. Uh, yes, well, you know, I've been writing. I've been, uh, I've been hunkered down, I'm, this is one of the reasons that we're a day early, is that I'm kind of hunkered down because I'm taking uh, a good chunk of this week and I'm leaving town. And so what that means is I've been glued to the, uh, the, the computer and the keyboard without actually taking a moment to scrape the face for the people.
1: Oh. Well, it would be perfect if you're dressing up as a pirate. Exactly. Yeah, I once dressed uh, up as a pirate. I forgot that it looked ridiculous.
0: Yeah, right, right. You look like you can grow a beard too.
1: I can, yeah. You, yeah? Yeah, I just I haven't. Maybe one day I'll be yeah. stranded on an island, and then we'll just see <laughs> just exactly what I can do. Uh,
0: so uh, last week uh, we were talking about uh, villains.
1: Yes, Batman. James Bond. Oh,
0: uh, Batman. James Batman. Bond. Batman villains. And, uh, and we were also uh, discussing who the best Batman are. The yeah. people who you might want to pay money to see as Batman once again. And um, I don't know if we have uh, any conclusive results from our uh, Movie festivals at Dawn we uh,
1: poll. Well, what I find about uh, this game is that there are some people who are content to go to our website, find mm-hmm. the little poll, which is hard to find, I've been told, right, and actually click a vote. Right. Uh, and then there are other people who just would rather give us their opinion through Twitter or Facebook or however and we're fine with both I mean you know the, the point isn't to really have a, an actual game that we're playing but more to have an activity that people can kind of engage in uh, based on the votes of our website uh, you again win with one vote for uh, ahead with Michael Keaton compared right. to my choice which was Kevin Conroy of the two I think Michael Keaton most people of the public would recognize Kevin Conroy is from the animated uh, television yeah. series But uh, when I put the question out on Twitter, I got a lot of good feedback.
0: Yeah, so did I. And I got some interesting ones here, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Rob Brown, uh, sound in my memory, act, sound in my memory, writes, Conroy doesn't get near enough respect for the voice work he's done. Still, I take Keaton. I didn't read that just to rub it in your face. Uh, (laughs) Someone else uh, says, I was going to say Adam West, but Conroy really is the modern Batman. I still love the animated series. That's what I thought was interesting, though. Uh, Shauna Rashid says, I love Christian Bale's Batman, but the more I think of it, I think he's actually my favorite Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And that, I thought that was pretty interesting a kind of an interesting take on this because of course, you know, uh, whoever plays Batman is both characters and yeah, I mean, and they're, they're, the characters are substantially different and you know what, as I think of it, I think Rashid might be on the side. I, Rishi, might
1: uh, yeah, I think exactly because most people who play that character, their focus is more on the Batman yep. character, on getting that right because it's probably the hardest and the most iconic. But it's difficult to take uh, a character like Bruce Wayne, who's mm-hmm. no less important, and try to make something interesting to to create layers with it. And and certainly, I think you know Christian Bale has has done a lot with that in the movies. Well, I think so because
0: you know before, if you look at the Michael Keaton. Batman. He was, uh, you know, a, a, a bit of a sad sack in the romance department, and you know, Michael Keaton was able to play that fairly well. And he, you know, had a bit of sense of humor, but he was, you know, it, it, he, he was tortured obviously about his parents' passing, but he wasn't as grief-stricken. It doesn't seem to me as the Christian Bale Batman. Um, that story, I think, those three films have taken the Bruce Wayne story and elevated it a great deal over anything that we've seen before. On the screen, anyway.
1: Yeah, and the, the, the struggle uh, in those three movies was, was definitely made to be the struggle of the man beneath the costume rather right. than... I think one of the things that's interesting about Nolan's take on it is that his characters are not supers. They're, they yeah. don't have superpowers. None of them do. In fact, everything's very realistic about them, and I think his approach to, to Bruce Wayne was the same idea.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but interesting. I thought uh, the comment about Bruce Wayne uh, made me think about this uh, in, a, in a slightly different way.
1: Completely, yeah. And because I think
0: of, I might go for that as well. I might say, well, Michael Keaton was probably my favorite in the suit, you know, uh, but maybe not so much uh, as Bruce Wayne.
1: You know, the way uh, Keaton, you know, his, his demeanor as he drove in the Batmobile, yeah. uh, the, the interaction they had with the other characters like Penguin or Catwoman. But yeah, I mean, Christian Bale. And I hadn't even thought about that either until I saw that tweet that really made me think about it, uh, which was cool. That's, that's what we're looking for. Absolutely. Uh, so my first topic mm-hmm. um, kind of goes towards the appreciation of animation. I mean, my Batman pick was Kevin Conroy because of right. how he depicted Batman in the mm-hmm. animated series. Today, uh, it may prove to be a mistake, but today we're going to talk about bronies. Mm. Now... Are you familiar with bronies, Richard? No.
0: No, they sound like something I would order with an espresso at a coffee house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, bronies is an unusual uh, cultural, subcultural movement. Right. Uh, the word brony is a combination of two words. It means brother and it means pony. So brother and pony together become hmm. brony. Right. Bronies are men uh, in age between 18 and 35, who are big fans uh let's see if i can pull it up uh, my little pony Of uh, yeah. the uh saturday oh, morning,
0: it morning it <laughs>
1: yes. oh yeah uh wow. they're huge fans of my little pony friendship is magic right um yeah uh, and i mean like huge fans in that there are conventions now dedicated towards us of men who love my little pony Uh, where you have celebrities, like uh, the rocker Andrew W.K. showed up for that convention. Uh, A lot of people have now been identifying themselves as bronies. Uh, When I first heard it, I was pretty confused about it. I I have to admit, I didn't quite understand it because, again, you take a look. (laughs) I mean, you look at this, and it's very, very girly in terms of... Yeah, well, if if there
0: is a, a less masculine... Cartoon series, Saturday afternoon cartoon series. I'm not sure what it might be.
1: <laughs> uh... completely. And, and and my first original take on it, to be honest, was that I thought that this was a new generation of gay men right. who were celebrating some of the toys that might have been from their youth. And I thought, right. how delightful! We've got yeah. an actual sort of subgenre of gay geek. Yeah. Oh. Uh, my second thought was, okay, if that's not the case, then maybe it's kind of a uh, uh, an, an ironic sense of right. worshipping the show. A, a that, that, of, would, that would
0: be my take on it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the, sort of like an ironic, like, oh, isn't this kind of kitschy and fun and cool? Well, Look, and yeah. I'm a huge guy wearing a, a little pony on my, on my T-shirt.
1: That sort of, you know, Beavis and Butthead, you know, right. hey, yeah, I like my little pony kind yeah. of, you know, trying to, <laughs> to undermine other people. But I've, I've, I've looked into it, and I can tell you that it is incredibly sincere. Mm. That um, this is about an entire group of, of men who do sit down, they watch the television series, right. they go online, they, they they generate websites about it. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing. So I've I've done a lot of research on it to try to get to the bottom of just what exactly is happening. Right. And we're talking lots of people. They had a convention in New Jersey, and 4,000 uh, members showed up wow. to celebrate My Little Pony. Friendship is Magic. If you do a search on it, you'll find endless uh, numbers of websites where people are creating their own fan fiction, their own art. Mm-hmm. There are even DJs that are remixing the My Little Pony theme. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, really. Really. And uh, uh, there are, there are, there's been such a, uh, an attack and such, such a, uh, an outcry of people who are so de- dubious about this culture that many My Little Pony uh, uh, bronies have gone online and, and recorded videos and you'll see men in their 30s with big muscular handlebar mustaches sitting there and they've actually got the little dolls talking about My right. Little
0: Pony. And, and what is it then? What, what is it that draws them in?
1: Right. Okay, so I, um, this is my understanding of it. Right. The movement is representative of two things. Right. The first is that the show itself is an excellent example of great animation, um, and we're not talking about the original My Little Pony, which I suffer post-traumatic stress syndrome. <laughs> <I> have, <laughs> this has been a really hard subject for me to take a look at because I have two younger sisters, and oh, you know, yeah. having been subjected to that, but also just as as a little boy sitting in front of the television, they would play those those damn commercials mm-hmm. while I'm trying to watch my Transformers and GI Joe. I got to sit through My Little Pony, My Little Pony. So for Mm -hmm. me, it's just nightmarish to even contemplate this. I hear you. I hear you. But in in 2010, uh, Hasbro decided to bring back My Little Pony, and they started up an entire new uh, cartoon series. And what happened was they hired uh, a woman named Lauren Faust, who animation fans know because she is considered to be one of the top uh, artists in the field. Uh, right. in, the, in the world of animation, if you're an animation fan, uh, you kind of look down upon the cartoons that are based on cereals and toys and look right. towards more original stuff. Right. So if I were to tell you, you know, uh, that adults are big fans of SpongeBob SquarePants, that probably wouldn't surprise you. Uh, because remember, it's, a, it's a
0: kind of a kitschy, ironic kind of thing. Yeah. There's probably jokes in there that little kids aren't meant to get that are for the parents. Like, that I I've seen the movie. The movie's funny.
1: Oh, I yeah. Yeah. Uh, And same with other series like, say, Ren and Stimpy or Invader Zim. But those are all shows that have been created by people who have come forth with their own creation, their own ideas. So uh, uh, initially when this show came out, people were kind of dismissive of it. it. But animation fans took a look at it. And the, the idea is that animation, if it's great, it should be great regardless of what the theme or the topic is. And the first generation of people who looked at it said, you know, actually this is really well done. The animation is well done. The uh, story is well written. This woman, Lauren Frost, she decided to do it because she was just thought the original uh, My Little Pony series was just drivel and horrible for little girls. (laughs) Wanted to do a smart and intelligent My Little Pony had no clue that she was going to draw in an entire generation of boys and men as well to, to sort of explore it. And as much as great animators do when they do these cartoons, they kind of entertain themselves right. and add in all sorts of other uh, you know, references and stuff. So one example, if I can pull up here, is that there would be a lot of those in-jokes that you might uh, expect from, say, SpongeBob SquarePants. Right. I'll give you an example here of one that is considered to be one of the best that they saw on the show, which was that there's an actual scene involving ponies acting out. uh, What's going on? It's crashing on me. Don't crash. Don't crash.
0: So is it... uh, Sorry, I saw the photo though. The photos are...
1: What is that? The Big Lebowski. (laughs) Right? So it's it's My Little Pony version of the Big Lebowski. Uh, And then also I'll show you another one. Just for you. I actually went very hard to try to find this one just for you. Uh, There we are. And these are the Diamond Dogs. Oh,
0: David Bowie, the Diamond Dogs. There you go. See? Now, so it does have, then, you know, like a a cultural resonance for for older men. I mean, this is not, you know, the way that you've presented this, I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, older men watching something that is meant for little girls. But clearly it's a much different thing.
1: Well... Yes and no. Or maybe, no, that's, that's. no, yeah. So if you watch the television series, and I have, uh, right. I mean, the the girls when they sat down and created this, uh, Lauren Frost, it was definitely created for six year old girls. Right. And if you watch it, it does start off with that cutesy My Little Pony, right. and most of the episodes are about things like um, friendship and right. uh, rainbows and cupcakes. Right. And, and things like These that. These are all good things. There's nothing wrong with any of those Correct. things. <laughs> yes. And, and the storylines are often about how you can use the power of friendship and tolerance and love to overcome your problems. And so the ponies will go up against things like seven-headed hydras and, and manticores, and they'll solve it by, you know, giving them hairdos or, or, right. or kisses and stuff like that. <laughs> so it, it is pony <laughs> kisses can can <laughs> solve a lot of problems now as far as Saturday morning cartoons that are accessible to adults this is probably still one of the least accessible like lower scale right? yeah you've got candy colored ponies and you know uh, stuff like that but what ended up happening that kind of helped give rise to this is that that initial band of people that wanted to champion this cartoon series and say hey you know it's got really good animation right. uh, to it, were attacked online, we were mm. openly ridiculed for it, and there was a, a, a kind of a, a miscommunication where you know, the initial fans were saying, no, look, we just think it's really great animation and should right. be appreciated for being really great animation, right. and had to deal with just armies of trolls that were taking them apart <laughs> and saying, no, it's, a, you know, it's, it's girly, it's, it's ridiculous, it's cute, it can never, ever, ever be considered to be something that is good. And so what ended up happening, because the theme of the show is overcoming people who have nasty attitudes with friendship. (laughs) Now you got it.
0: Well, see, the show, show, uh, you know, is helping to make friends on the Internet. Correct. trolls one little pony at a time.
1: So what would happen is when somebody who's an absolute troll on the Internet uh, starts to misbehave, they might get hit by this. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's <is> funny yeah <laughs> that's so, funny
1: that's been kind of this movement that has developed and, wow. and people actually they self-identify themselves as bronies when they meet they do what's called a bro hoof which is that they knock their, <laughs> uh if somebody you know says something really really dumb instead of a face palm it's called a a uh, a face hoof
0: uh, things things like like that. That. Yeah. When they <laughs> laugh at jokes, they
1: go. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well. I don't know. just. They would, I'm just, uh, they would I, call. They would call you a fool. Uh, You're a mad fool for, <laughs> for. Yeah.
0: You know what? Listen. I. You know. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. I mean. I. I'm not really sure that I buy the idea that, like, anything that's well animated is worth a look. I mean, it's like I. I have. I have in my life been given books where people have said, you know. You're, you're. This is so well written, so beautifully written, and I haven't been able to crack the spine of the thing. I haven't been able to get into it. And so, you know, I, I wonder still. I mean, I, I think that there's got to be some sort of, I don't know, kitsch value. There's got to be something in here. <laughs> Maybe not. I
1: don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I can send you over some of the episodes if you want to take a look at them. Uh, One of the things that happened was Hasbro was quite taken aback. I mean, this is sure (laughs) they (laughs) were. We don't have any extra large My Little Pony shirts. (laughs) We got to print some up. We
0: didn't think about this.
1: No, and they have no idea how to really react to it, other than to try to to be as friendly as possible to the movement uh the, the creator lauren faust has just been beside herself she doesn't <laughs> quite know how to, to handle it but one of the moves that they did was they realized that these older men aren't going to actually turn on the television on saturday morning or at three o'clock on the day to watch it so they've put the whole series on youtube oh funny yeah and it's free to watch you can watch uh, uh both seasons that are up there and they have not touched anybody who's created their own artwork who have created their own videos mm. there are guys who are programming their own my little pony friendship is magic video game <laughs> that you can play online and so they've kind of just taken this hands off and just allowed it to develop and grow as large as possible and not get in the way when you have guys who actually go to the stores and buy the dolls well, see, I, I
0: love that it's a it's a it's a show or it's an entity. I mean, as soon as you know, it's Hasbro, it's a big corporate entity that's embracing its fan base, no matter how unexpected it might be, because it doesn't always happen that way. You hear stories all the time of you know uh, cartoon characters painted on the side of a, uh, and this isn't exactly the same, but cartoon paintings, you know, of, of cartoon characters painted on the side of a daycare. And, you know, some big, bad, evil corporation swoops in and says, you can't have, you know, right. that mouse on the side of your building, you know. So um, I, I, this, is a, this is an interesting phenomenon, that they put it all <laughs> on YouTube, that it's all kind of, it seems much more transparent's not the word, but it seems much more kind of uh, fan-friendly or, or, or not sincere, quite as right? money-grubbing <laughs> as yeah. normally
1: no, and that's sort of what's come out of this is that um, the people who worked on the show, not all of them are still working on, it, but they've said that this has changed their careers because now when they go into meetings uh you know it companies now have to realize that. You cannot predict what the demographic is going to be, right? right. And that animators who approach this material in a non-formulaic way, because that's the real change here, is that you had a very uh, um, cynical sort of approach to the toy the first time around, the 1980s and the 1990s, which is that all girls have to be treated like they they like little pretty uh, dresses and want to grow up to be princesses and that kind of thing. And to allow somebody to come in and sort of bring a much more of a street sense. Towards telling stories and developing characters, and how that can take a life of its own, yeah. uh, and that you don't have to have something as sort of surreal and extreme as, say, Adventure Time or SpongeBob SquarePants, and still right. get that—that that you can have things like Transformers uh, and My Little Pony sort of develop into that phenomenon.
0: I, I, I think that the way things are marketed to little girls has changed. Uh, you know, I don't have any kids, so I don't—I I, I don't know this. Uh, for a certainty, but I, it seems to me, just from my experience of the movies that I have to review that are for kids, the characters uh, that are aimed at little girls seem to be much different these days. Um, you know, there's the anti-princess now, which is, you know, the, the the princess, the Celtic princess in Brave, for instance, or you know, really ever since uh, uh, the Little Mermaid. And you know, these aren't they, they're still princesses uh, in the in the Disney tradition. Um, but they're not looking for Prince Charming to help them out of all their problems. And they, 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 they uh, you know, in New Land and movies like that, they, they go to war and they do things. They're not uh, submissive characters anymore. And I think that's something that is really only, you know, I wouldn't say it's exactly really, really recent, but it's in the last 15, 20 years that we've seen uh, that there is a difference in the way that, that girls are catered to at the movie.
1: Yeah, completely. Uh, there's an episode actually in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Uh, and <laughs> I one think of you've watched
0: a little bit too many of these shows. That's... I
1: might have. Uh, and one of the ponies walks down a set of stairs wearing glass slippers, and sure. she accidentally leaves one slipper behind just like Cinderella, yeah. except when somebody points it out to her, she turns around and goes back and just smashes the glass <laughs> and moves on. So there is that kind of a sense that's right. going on. Uh, Paul Dini, who was the man in charge of the Batman cartoons for a long time, yeah. has said that there, one of the changes he's noticed now is that there's a new thinking amongst all these executives that you sit down with, and their thinking now is that you can no longer have older characters star in these <laughs> cartoon series, that now kids have to see characters that are of their own age Reflect uh, about themselves, him. yeah. Correct, yes. Because, of course, his Batman series was about a Batman that was in his mid-30s. Right. And he's saying that's something you could never do uh, today. There just is no interest in those kinds of stories anymore. You can't have huh. kids learning about men that go off and be heroes. Now it's about the little kids themselves becoming the huh. heroes and going off on their adventures.
0: Huh. I wonder where that leaves older animation fans. You know, the people that say, well, you become bromies.
1: Apparently.
0: Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Smash and hope Bro so move, man. I <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, uh, I wonder, I mean, I, I get that. I mean, I think that, you know, still, these things are uh, packaged in a very, you know, I don't know, cynical way, but they're, they're certainly very packaged still. And that is one of the things. But I do wonder, because there are people, clearly, um, you know, who love animation, uh, some of the most successful shows on television ever are animated, you look at Family Guy, you look at The Simpsons, which is now, I think, the longest-running uh, primetime television show entertainment-wise, I mean, news shows, there's a couple of new shows, like 60 Minutes, that have been on longer, but, you know, animation uh, is, is that thing that I don't think people take as seriously uh, as maybe some other forms, but certainly, uh, you know, in terms of success and the amount of money that it generates is, is substantial. And so I wonder where it does leave older fans.
1: Yeah, completely. Uh, like, do you
0: want to? I mean, are you going to become a brony?
1: So desperate
0: to, to, to watch it? something uh, animated that you'll watch it. You
1: know, a- I'll be on. Like one of the things that the bronies say is that if you don't like their show, that's totally fine because the whole thing about <laughs> it is openness it and it, yeah, yes. yeah. and and they do understand the difference between somebody who is just being judgmental, who is dismissing right. it because it's, it's all pretty and little girly, and people who, I have to admit, I'm in that camp that have watched the series and kind of went, you know, um, it She's doesn't really tricky, connect with me. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, there are things about it I kind of appreciate, but in my mind there's so much going on in the world in terms of culture. There are other right. things that I probably would rather spend my time. I would rather right. sit and watch a couple of episodes of Adventure Time instead. But I like the idea of coming up with... A movement that responds to the trolling, to the hating right. that's been going on the internet, and in that sense I'm sort of a brony in spirit. I really kind of support that <laughs> idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, I, you know, we we talked about we talked about this a few times on this show. Uh, that you know, I, it, it's something that I, I I can't quite wrap my head around. Other than uh, it's easy and it's cowardly, and maybe if you've had a really bad day. Um, You know, when I, years ago, when I used to work in bars and things, if someone came in and they were like, "Ah," when they first got to you, think, okay, well, they had a bad day, and they need somewhere to take it out on. And I can't really go back and go, you know, give them Mm -hmm. them the old what for because I'm getting paid to be nice to people. So, you know, in the absence of that, I guess that's, you know, trolls, uh, internet trolls, they they find some kind of release in it. But really, I, I honestly just don't understand what people really get out of it.
1: No, neither do I. I don't know if it's just that they're exercising their own insecurities or pain. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's especially now, once you're on the Internet, you have access to so many things that you can uh-huh. kind of get involved in that are far more positive and creative and going to give you something to help yeah, kind of improve yeah. your life. Why would you ever waste your time in a comment section on a YouTube telling somebody that they're, you know, uh, yeah. questioning their genders or their, their sexuality yeah. or anything like that that people often do. It's just, it's, it's dumb. Yeah, I have uh,
0: recently on my Facebook, uh, I haven't uh, blocked people, but I've, I've, I've hidden some people. And right. the reason that I did it, and, I, you know, they'll, they'll get unhidden eventually, you know, I think, uh, if I can remember who they are, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, but, but I was just finding that there were certain people on my, on my sites that would uh, chime in in everything that they said. It was just so negative, not necessarily trolling, you know, not necessarily uh, questioning people's gender or whatever, you know, whatever the 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 troll du jour is, you know, um, but just people whose whose first thought would be something downbeat and negative. And I thought, you know what, I'm, on this page, I'm not looking for that. Right. I'm not interested in that.
1: There's enough snark out there. I like. There your... is.
0: But but see then when when I do that I sometimes feel like Joseph McCarthy you know so I have to <laughs> I have to I, I have to find a balance there somewhere. <laughs> but you know it's interesting is we talk about the Bronies we talk about My Little Pony and and a show that uh, some people can uh, love and other people just don't uh, understand what the love is all about. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the show The Newsroom. a little Oh bit. cool okay yeah now The Newsroom is a show that before it went on the air uh, words like brilliant genius. Aaron Sorkin, the god of the modern god of dialogue, was writing this show, and I, you know, I watched the first episode, and, and you have to admit, like the first ten minutes of that first episode is some of the best written television that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges plays a uh, an anchor who's a highly paid anchor who, uh, for years, has been sort of coasting, uh, essentially giving the people what they want, and it has made him rich beyond all you know, beyond all imagination, uh, it has made him very famous, but it's it's not particularly satisfying. So his boss, played by Sam Waterston, creates an idea where he's going to bring back uh, an executive producer who used to work with him before and really put some zip into the news and only do the important stories and, you know, go back to old school Edward R. Murrow kind of reporting. Ratings be damned, let's just see what happens out there, see if people still have an interest in the news. And, uh, of course, then, you know, the executive producer they bring back, she's played by Emily Mortimer. Uh, she's an ex girlfriend of the anchor, and, you know, so it starts, you start to add in, uh, personal elements to a show that is called The Newsroom that I was really hoping would just focus on the news. Right. And, and so the first episode, uh, has this moment of genius at the very beginning of it, and then glides by, and it just one well, you can't, you know, you, you, you can't deny. It but it's some pretty snappy writing. Um, the second episode had, you know, another moment or two where I was like, you know what, that's some of the best writing on television I've heard. The rest of the show, although it wasn't grabbing me, every episode, and I'm watching, I'm tuning in every week, but every episode I'm finding, there's a moment in it that I think is fantastic. But then the rest of the show, I find a bit of a letdown. And I, I don't know whether it's because... Um, I feel that they're, they're focusing too much on the personal lives of of these people. One of the reasons that I've watched probably all 5,780, I don't know how many episodes are of law and order, <laughs> is because it rarely ever strays outside of the crime scene, the courtroom, the DA's office, or the, the jail. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what I'm paying to see. That's what I want to see show about law and order should be about law and order, and that's what that show delivers. Um, you know, obviously, in the in the long term, when characters last for years and years and years, there's some personal stuff that works its way in there, but by and large, it's a police procedural, and it does it really well. It's a little predictable, for sure, but it, 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 it does what it's supposed to do. The newsroom, I'm finding, is veering away from telling me the stories that I want. That, that first episode was so... Uh, uh, vehement it, in its condemnation of what's wrong with the news and what's wrong with you know the way that 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 people treat uh, pol- politics like it's sports now and and you know it was it was so kind of inspired that to have it fall into something else has disappointed me.
1: Right. I mean, have you been watching? I have been watching, and I, I have to admit, I get frustrated when it starts to become about who slept with who, yeah. who cheated on with who. Uh, you know, it's not meant to be a soap opera. Yeah. And I think you're, you're right in that what we really do need is kind of a news procedural to kind of right. go through the process of how you take a story and how it should be uh, appropriately researched, how it should yeah. be packaged, and what the mistakes are. I did like the episode where they ended up uh, not getting the guests that they wanted and had to right. go on with three really bad yeah, guests, yeah. Yeah, yeah. kind of people who just um uh, sitting around always available. It's like, hey, anybody wants to call me? And, you know, and I get those emails from people yeah. like that who, who think I'm a producer at CTV and say, you know, this person would be absolutely wonderful to talk about this topic. Yeah, uh, yeah I thought that those kinds of insights were wonderful, but maybe they felt that wasn't going to be interesting enough for a show and that you had to drive it with characters and, and have people that we can fall in love with. I don't really need that. I think there's enough of that already uh, on television that we don't need for that kind of, drama you know it's all kind of fake yeah i
0: i i do think that i mean you know every as i say every episode has a line like uh, Jeff just uh daniel says at one point uh he said you know i'm a card-carrying republican i have been my entire life but people think i'm a liberal he said uh, they think uh i'm a liberal uh because i believe that uh, hurricanes are caused by uh, weather systems and not gay marriage And that's that's a great line. I didn't do it justice there, but that's a great line. And if the show was up to that standard on every episode, um, I would love it. And I want to love it. I desperately want to have great television. I want on Sunday night at 10 o'clock to be able to wind down my week by watching a show that I want to talk about the next day. And the newsroom I thought was going to be the one and I'm not sure that
1: it is. Yeah, we'll see how well it, it kind of develops. I mean, I guess the issue is with any show is that initially you you may have some interference. There's always compromise. It yeah. has to be done. So Aaron Sorkin at some point has had to compromise just to be able to get this show on the air. Maybe what we're picking up on are the initial compromises that are being made. Yeah. Um, uh, I have my family's obsessed with the television series Lost. And you go back and you watch the first couple of episodes and every actor has perfect makeup and perfect (laughs) even though they just came off of an airplane. And there are, you know, now that the series is over, admissions that there were a lot of compromises that had to be made before the studio bosses left them alone. and They can kind of do what they should have done with the show. And it could be like that with the newsroom. I do have to say that one of the things that I love that they've done recently is the whole piece about Bigfoot.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I thought, it doesn't surprise me that you would find that interesting, frankly. Well, There was a whole episode where all one character said was, you know, Bigfoot's real. And he he had some proof.
1: Yeah, well, and the thing that I love about it is that although that's played for a gag, that's a real argument that's being made in real science right now. Everything that he said is something that Aaron Sorkin has picked up because there is, um, <laughs> what was once laughed at is now given some degree of credibility. There are, people, right. there are enough credible reports that show that there may be an animal out there that could match the, the, the mythology of Bigfoot and Sasquatch. And so that made me laugh. I thought that was hilarious because everybody's ignoring this guy. And right. hilarious because, you know, later on they ignore him when he starts talking about something called WikiLeaks. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, way, yeah. this is not going to be important, you stupid geek and nerd, you know. So it's I like that.
0: <laughs> because the show is, is in, in its timeline, it's about a year old. Like in, in terms of, of where it's set, it's a year or, or a little bit more behind us. And WikiLeaks uh, came up on last night's show, and he's like, "Oh, WikiLeaks, there it is again. You know, he's, yeah. here he, he's the guy that is you know, <laughs> sort of a step ahead of everybody else in this kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's it's a compelling show. Um, I just want it to be more compelling. I think it's one of those shows that disappoints me, not because it's bad, you know, not because it's poorly acted, because it certainly isn't, um, I'm loving it with Emily Mortimer a little bit, I'm loving her this much more every week,
1: okay, and,
0: yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, and, and Jeff Daniels, obviously, Greta, Alison Pill, there's good actors on this show, um, it, it is just, uh, I, I just want the, the balance to skew just a little bit more towards what the name promises.
1: Right. Yeah, to go in, I think, uh, well, I think maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe they think that people aren't going to buy into the show unless it does have drama to it. But uh, yeah. you're right. I mean, there's especially right now, there's so much criticism that can be leveled towards the news. I like the moment when they're reporting on the possible death, and NPR has already said that that person has yeah, died. Yeah, that was great. Right. And they're, you know, debating whether to follow the other media outlets that are out there, and yeah. you've got that executive got real different, yeah, yeah, coming and, in and, and saying, "We're losing thousands of people every second that you're not up to date." It's, you know,
0: well, and someone said, you know, uh, someone said, uh, "She's a woman, not a This is a human being, not a thing, or something." And, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to declare her dead until we have uh, proof. Ratings be damned, kind of thing.
1: Correct, yeah, yeah. and I, I think that those kinds of moments are fantastic. That's really the heart and soul of what the show should be.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I want more of those and less of, why did you sleep with them? I want less of that and more of the news. (laughs) What else have you brought along? Pardon? (laughs) What else have you brought along?
1: Okay, well, let's see. I've um, picked up on something that I'm still processing in my head. I'm not quite sure Mm -hmm. exactly what to think about it. Um, We have here in Canada a, a man who is a pioneer in the world of wearable technology. Uh, many decades ago. His name is Steve Mann. He's a professor at the University of Toronto. He was one of the first people to really contemplate the idea of what happens when we start to wear computers, uh, what happens when we put computers in our glasses, and what happens when we start to actually um, surgically implant them in our body. There was a documentary
0: made about him uh, a number of years ago by Peter Lynch and uh, at a film festival a hundred years ago. I interviewed both of them about it, and I remember he came in, and it was a... I mean, at the time, this was before I think we probably even had webcams on our cameras or everyone had webcams on their on their computers, and the idea that this guy was wired for everything and transmitting back to a home computer was mind blowing
1: yeah it was it looked. Both insane, like he was completely out of out of his mind, right. uh, and then also it was just you know something so far ahead. this should have been two decades away, three decades decades That's right. away, and yet he actually had it all put i mean it was very large as a prototype might be, yeah. Um, but yeah, an amazing fellow, and i don't know what kind of a sense do you remember did you get of him? did you find him to be? Someone that if you met him on the street, you might cross over to the other side of the street.
0: Would I'm not sure that I, 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 I. I'm not sure that I found him friendly. Uh, I was just trying to look up to see what the movie was called. I think it's called uh, *Cyborg* or *Cyberman*. Yeah. And I, I, I don't remember thinking that he was uh, particularly friendly. I, I don't remember he was unfriendly though. But you know what it was? I think I, I felt that he uh, um, lived in his own uh, space. Right. He lived in his own world, and we were we were uh, colliding with his own world. But uh, <laughs> uh, but that that he wasn't you know he wasn't uh, like a guy that you would uh, you know sit next to at a bar and uh, strike up a conversation with probably.
1: Right. I think there are some academics that mm-hmm. you know will sit there with you know patches on their elbows and go, yes, well, we have to understand yeah. that in the 1900s, he's not that kind of academic. Yeah. The other fellow. That sort of, you know, sits in a wizard's tower on the university that is a little eccentric. You kind of meet yeah. him and, and, you know, you're not quite sure. He's, he's sort of almost speaking backwards and you're speaking forwards at the same <laughs> time. Uh, but very brilliant man. I, I yeah. met him when he was installing a water-based organ at the Ontario Science Center. Wow. And uh, just, it looked like, you know, Phantom of the Opera meets Aquaman. Just yeah, yeah. With this with water and having a, a great time with it. Uh, he has been very committed in terms of his projects. He's developed uh, the iTap, which is this device that he wears. In fact, I've got a, a photo here that I'll put up. And it's something that he wears all the time. Um, here we are. Right. So that's him on the left-hand side. And um, he's comparing it here to what Google has recently announced. Google's coming right. out with their own glasses right. that you wear. Uh, the difference being that whereas Google puts a, a lens, uh, sort of a small screen, just in front of your eye, so you can read the screen.
0: Oh, right, right.
1: Uh, his is surgically attached to his face. Yeah. Uh, that camera is sitting right on top of his eyeball. Uh, it projects images right onto it. And so what ends up happening is that um, he's essentially seeing through that camera lens, and then that camera lens is taking uh, its video feed, feeding it to his eyeball, but. Making changes that a computer change and uh, makes right. changes up, and I'm not entirely sure what those are because he hasn't always been very clear as to how his technology works. I think he's trying to protect uh, his mm-hmm.
0: own copyright uh, ideas, copyrights, and, things, copyright and things
1: like that. Yes. But it does do augmented things and, and such like that. Uh, but the point is that he wears this all the time. If you've ever seen him, sometimes it looks like he's just got a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> Other times it looks like he, he's like that. Like and the Terminator, almost. Like right, yeah. you know, yeah. like a crazy Terminator, yeah. you Weird know, Al Yankovic in yeah, Terminator yeah, a, sort yeah. of thing. Um, anyway, so he, he wears this technology all the time. He recently went on a trip to Paris, in France, with his family. Yeah. And this is he, a vacation,
0: right? This isn't, he's yeah. not working. He's just, he's, they going to the Arc de Triomphe and having a look around.
1: Right, and, and like other professors do when he was there, it was uh, more of a case of, uh, while I'm here, I'll check out maybe what some of the other installation right. institutions right. are doing, and professors, and, and things of that nature. And uh, he had spent the day going through a number of uh, art galleries, and museums uh, places that typically aren't always friendly to cameras and camera right. equipment but right. didn't have any problems and just in case he does have problems he carries around with him a little letter from a doctor that says hi he's wearing this uh, it's attached to his face you right. know, It cannot be removed yeah, and yeah. also there's a state that um, his technology does not record that's right. What he's getting is a live feed into his eyeball, maybe changed by a computer, but there is, you know, a little um, recording right. device at the back where you can go back and take a look at the last eight right. hours, right. Or anything like that. Uh, at the end of the day of going through the various museums and going on tours, he took his family, his wife and two daughters, to a local McDonald's and was standing in line ordering food when one of the employees came up to him and told him something along the lines of, you can't use a camera in here. Right. And he had to explain, well, you know, this isn't a camera. I'm not recording anything. It's attached to my face. I can't remove it. And that seemed to settle things initially. He ended up getting food. They sat down with his family. And still more uh, uh, McDonald's employees came over and started to basically accost him. I think they were asking him to leave, but he had already ordered his food. It had already paid for it. He said, I just want to finish it. We'll leave. And two things ended up happening. The first was that he, if I can pull up his website. He
0: was hit in the face, right? I mean, he was... He, he was
1: well, there was, there was, he started to get crowded around by three employees. Right. And he ended up, you know, okay, well, I guess I'm now talking to the manager, reached into his pocket, pulled out his doctor's uh, note right. and gave it to them. They looked over it, and they were reacting in a very hostile way, treating him as if he was up to no good. Right. Uh, and I don't know if the assumption was that maybe they felt he was a pedophile, because a lot of people are afraid of that when it comes right. to cameras or right. whether it was just a privacy thing. But uh, they didn't believe, I, I'm assuming they didn't believe his, his uh, doctor's note was real because they ended up ripping it in his face. <laughs> just like they do in the movies, you know. you <laughs> I don't care about your stupid note and just ripped it up. And then uh, one of the gentlemen actually reached forward and tried to pull the glasses off of his face which must be very frightening if you have something yeah, yeah. surgically implanted. Yeah. And it got to the point where they ended up grabbing him and throwing him outside of the restaurant, physically manhandling him to eject him of the restaurant. And as they did so, it actually broke and smashed um, right. his, his eyeglasses. What ended up happening, because they smashed it and it sort of you know shut down the system, the system retained the last 30 seconds of what it had seen. Right. So he actually has, and I'm, I'm looking for it here, I pull it down. He actually has images that he's pulled from his eye system here, and I find them, to be honest, kind of sinister and frightening. Right. Um, pull it up here in a moment. Do, 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 do. So I'm looking for the one where you've got a guy that's tearing up the note, trying <laughs> out really, really. Nuts. That's just
0: really aggressive. That's really aggressive.
1: I agree. There's no cause for that. You can, yeah. you know, not believe in it and just hand it yeah. back to them. So here we are, and there's actually right. a guy tearing up the note. Right. Uh, and then if I go down, um, he's actually grabbed images of their badges and stuff right. like that. There's another one earlier on where you can see somebody reaching up and grabbing for his, uh, his glasses. There right. we go. Right.
0: Uh,
1: and then, so I thought that was kind of, you know, frightening, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this kind of happened. Uh, what is interesting is that he's um, he's not really he's sort of an introvert and a passive guy. He yeah. didn't want to go after McDonald's. He didn't hire a lawyer or anything like that. He uh, wrote a little blog post. He tried to look up some information and contact information to get McDonald's, which apparently is really hard to do. You're trying to reach somebody (laughs) at McDonald's. Yeah, there's no real public information. And so people online began to use Twitter. They began to look for any kind of contact locally to try to get somebody from McDonald's to talk to him about the whole incident. And there's been about a week of back and forth that's going on. Lots of people on his website suggesting, get a lawyer. This is huge. You know, yeah, right. are you kidding? You've got photographic evidence. He's grabbing it. Uh, cyber, uh, rights. Well, and cyber, cyber rights. Well, cyber rights. Too. Too. <laughs> I mean, there are lawyers here going, this, this could be precedent. You could create yeah. new laws, all sorts of stuff. And he's, he's made it very clear he doesn't want anything like that. Right. What he just wants is to make McDonald's aware of what happened right. and to get them to pay for the repairs on his expensive right. ITAP device. McDonald's has responded, and they say that in their opinion, um, they are not responsible for anything that happened. There was no assault from their point of view. There was no, uh, uh, they denied that there was any kind of wrongdoing in terms of what went back and forth. Huh. And I find that shocking. The, the, the uh,
0: pictures seem to uh, suggest otherwise.
1: Yeah, the, the, well, and I think the idea is that they feel that it was within their rights to do the things that they right. did. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what the thinking is, and there hasn't been much of an explanation. For me, I find it confusing uh, just myself. When I go off and I, and I research a lot of the gadgets that I take on television, one of the things I do is I try to go the extra mile and I go to stores to see what prices the gadget has at the store. Right. Rather than go on TV and say what you know the, the companies yeah, yeah. tell me is the price, which may not right. always be accurate, I right. try to go the extra mile for my audience and say, okay, well let's go check it out. So I go into stores and I take photographs. Of the prices as a reminder for myself, right. so I don't have to write it down. And I've had store employees come after me, very hostile, and say, hey "We don't allow photography here." Mm-hmm. And I've always asked, "Why?" Yeah. Just give me an answer. I would like to know. And I've never gotten one. Uh, I, uh, well, it's interesting. I had a,
0: a little conversation uh, a while ago <laughs> uh, with a woman who um, I was in a store. Uh, the the PMC, my preferred movie companion, was off buying something. And I was just standing sort of by myself with my phone, checking my emails. And uh, I had been, we'd been in the store for some time. Uh, there were people behind the cache chatting with one another, laughing, talking about what they had done the night before, you know, all that kind of stuff. No one was making any effort to assist us at all. And then I, so, you know, the PMC is off running around in the store, she's like, I'll find whatever I want on my own. And I'm standing there, uh, you know, with my thing, doing what people do. And that got their attention. All of a sudden, you can't take photos in here. I said, I'm not. Uh, You know, (laughs) I'm sending an email. She said, well, I just want you to know you cannot, you know, for future reference, you can't take an email. I said, well, for future reference, I'd like some service when I come into a store and not to hear what you did last night. And we had that conversation.
1: Nice. Uh, Yeah, well, you know,
0: I think uh, I get a little frustrated by poor service.
1: Yeah, well, and I I sort of, I mean, I can understand it in the context that you've got a clothing store and there's a dressing room nearby that they want to be able to make sure that people aren't pulling out cameras and taking pictures of people while they're dressing. That I got. Uh, But you're in the uh, kitchenware aisle of, say, Sears. Yeah. That they would come down and I've never understood the logic because I, I sort of think okay well do you think I'm a spy for a competitor coming in yeah, yeah. and snapping photos of, of prices because I would think that that would be fairly you know a spy would just write it down or something yeah. like that. Do something um, a little
0: less obvious than yeah. oh i going to take a photograph now. You know, and, and I would think that
1: 90, gonna, 95% uh, of the time you're sort of coming in and saying don't take a photo of our store and share it on Twitter and tell your friends to come and shop here. We don't want that. That's right. just horrible. Uh, And I've had the experience where some of these stores that I've gone in that have been very hostile to me, two weeks later we'll be told there's a promotion where they're putting QR codes all throughout the stores. And so people can put their phones and snap. You know, it's like, okay. So I'm not sure what's going on with McDonald's. Uh, According to Steve Mann on his blog, he said there is a precedent where there was a woman who came in and tried to take a photograph of the menu. And she was manhandled and ejected from the store for doing so that right. apparently uh, McDonald's feels very aggressive in terms of protecting their menu. And I'm not sure I understand why that is, because I would think that of any restaurant on the planet, McDonald's menu is pretty static. It, it, well, and it it's, so, uh,
0: it, it's so ubiquitous. I mean, it's everywhere. It's not hard to get uh, access to uh, a McDonald's menu.
1: And it's not, not like, like it's a
0: unique piece of art.
1: No, exactly. So I'm not sure what was going on, whether they've had the experience of, you know, animal rights activists coming in and trying to shoot documentaries or something. Right, I'm, right, right. I'm, But then I'm inventing excuses for them here, and I shouldn't <laughs> be doing that, because that, that's not nice. Um, but I, I think what happened with Steve Mann was really unfortunate. If it really was what his suspicion is, that we as a society have reached a point where we're very fearful of change and new technology, then that's an unfortunate thing, that someone could go in and just have that level of aggression. I mean, they, they could have just come up and sort of said, well, we need you to leave or when you're done eating or, yeah. you know, stand there and watch them. But to, to rip up that note, I thought was very yeah. sinister, yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean,
1: it's weird, there is,
0: uh, this sort of will dovetail into my final topic of the day, uh, which is, I I guess it's fear, a little bit. I mean, when, you know, the shootings in Colorado happened, the movie shootings, I'm not calling them the Batman shootings, uh, like so many other places uh, are, because the movie uh, and the the location, actually, really has nothing to do with uh, the, the incident. I mean, I think that the question that we should be asking isn't, you know, where did this happen, but why did this happen? You know, why, what, why does someone feel so disenfranchised? So, you know, how does someone get to be so mentally ill without anyone noticing? Or did he not have health insurance? Did he not afford his meds? There's, I mean, there's a thousand questions we can ask before we, if we start talking about, you know, where it happened, and the movie had nothing to do with it, Uh, you know, there's, there are, there are so many, um, uh, things that I feel about what happened, and I spent, of course, the weekend, uh, well, from Friday morning, straight through, till this morning, talking about this, and, you know, uh, what, what I will say about this, uh, sort of, in, you know, to, sort of, in, this may be the last things that I say about this, because, frankly, I'm kind of done talking about it, I think, for now, anyway, but, um, you know, this is a horrible tragedy that was caused by someone who's obviously deeply mentally ill. Um, and the, the, the fearful reactions that I got from people on Twitter and Facebook and in person, I, I, I thought were so outsized, uh, given the threat that it presented to them. And I know that people want to take a huge tragedy, which this undoubtedly was, mm-hmm. and, and, and figure it out somehow. What can we do? How can I understand this in some way? So, you know, I had people writing, well, you know, I need you to support me. I'm going to try and get metal detectors in all movie theaters now. I'm like, well, absolutely, I'm not going to support you. This was an isolated incident by someone who was clearly, clearly not well. And we, we don't need to, to go to such extremes. And so what I thought I'd talk about a little bit is, is just the, 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 the parts that we should enjoy. About movies, I don't think there's any fear. I don't think we need to be fearful in going to the theater. I think that the theater is still a place, so the movie theater and the live theater too, but I'll specifically talk about the movie theater, um, where we can go to escape all of the the horrible things that are intrinsic to people's lives and that we see on the news and, and everywhere else. And I think that the, the, just the sheer act of, of going to the movie theater, maybe this weekend it was an act of defiance going like in, in the face of all this, but yeah. it, it, beyond that, I mean I, I think that the movie theater still should be seen as a place of escape and a place of refuge and a place where you can go and see something that you'll never see anywhere else or be taken to a world or a place or a city that you may never actually be able to go to. And that in in itself, there's nothing to be fearful about in terms of this. And I I was, I had to say I was a little surprised at the reaction of people. uh, I'll never go to the movies again. I know that that's knee jerk and that that feeling will go away. But I was really, I I, I was really quite surprised by it. I mean, you know, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a movie guy. Is it, am I overreacting to this?
1: No, I think you're you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and I went through this with Columbine. I went through this sure. with the Virginia Tech shootings. Uh, I ended up talking about it until I was blue in the face and never wanted to ever talk about it again. So yeah. I wasn't really feeling left out this past week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, hey, good for you. I'm just yeah. going to stay home. But I think you're absolutely right in that um, the, the time and the place had nothing to do with what happened. It, was, no. it didn't matter that it was Batman; it could have been any big blockbuster movie. It was yeah. more just that there was going to be a gathering of people, and that it was going to draw a lot of attention. Yeah, I mean, it um, could have been at a restaurant.
0: It could have been at a busy mall. It could have been—I mean, it could have been anything. And that's yeah. the—that's—that's that's the the where isn't the point. No, if the where isn't the point. It's the why. You
1: know? and, and a lot of the the research that I've done over the years in trying to explain it. Because when I've had to talk about with Columbine, the why at that time was, oh, it's violent video games turning people into to these shooters. Um, and often what the research shows from behavioral scientists is that it's more of an issue of control, that these individuals right. um, have an imbalance and that they do not feel like they're in control of their lives right. at all. And so, it's something that has haunted them their entire lives so that by the time they get into their their late 20s and their early 30s. It's something that has been a burden that they've been carrying for a long time. And usually when there's a major event like losing um, a job, or in this case uh, this individual I think was trying to get into a neuroscience uh, course and got rejected, that rejection just exacerbates their feeling of not having control. And so they try to overreact to try to regain it in some fashion in right. an extreme fashion. So, you know, sometimes it's guns, sometimes it's explosives, sometimes it's fire, because fire is the one thing that nobody can control, and they sort of identify right. with that. So this is a person saying, look, I'm going to act in a way that it may mean the end of my life, but for those brief 30 minutes, I'm going to feel like I'm in control. And yeah. I don't care if it's going to cost uh, lives or anybody else right. out there. I just want to feel like I'm in control. And that's something that you cannot relate. To any specific trend, right. or any specific location, or social—you know—it's got nothing to do with pinball machines or trench coats, yeah, or, or people
0: watching violent movies or whatever. I mean, I—I I, I really do. I mean, because I was trying to think, you know, as this guy walks into a movie theater. At the beginning, and you know how like just the fear and confusion and the, you know how how uh, what 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 chaos it must have been right because at first right. you see this guy who you know maybe looks like he could be doing a promo for the movie i'd be annoyed, frankly, it was thirty some odd minutes into the movie, <laughs> I mean like sit down and shut up, but you know oh, yeah. uh, but you know you never know right it could be you know someone who was just going to do uh, a little something as part of the opening night midnight screening, this could be fun, you know. And then all of a sudden there's smoke everywhere, and bolts start flying, it must have been just awful. It must have been just hellacious. But I, I was trying to think and imagine what could this guy have been thinking. And, and I will not, you know what, I'm not going to mention his name ever, and I haven't on any of the, the things no. that I've talked about, because uh, I'm not giving him what he wants, which is a certain degree of fame as well, I think. Yeah. And, um but you know, what could he possibly have been thinking, and, and this you, your talk of control and for that for that few moments, you are actually in control right uh, makes perfect sense to me
1: yeah, because you and I uh we can't relate to it because for the most part in our lives, we kind of feel like we're in control. there are moments yeah. in when we do not like, like everyone's we, life, you're a little right. you know, yeah, so I, a
0: little bit sometimes.
1: You know, if you think back to a, a day in which maybe you, you were rejected from somebody that you're trying to date right. or that you were uh, you lost your job, that horrible feeling that you had for those two weeks or three weeks, a guy like him would have been experiencing his entire life and right. may not have had people who... Uh, would understand that or have related to it. And it's sort of I think, think the key at the end of the day is for us as a society to understand that condition and to get people to kind of be able to communicate this is how I feel and it's okay and try to find ways in which they can feel like they're going to be in control. That's sort of the main focus that we have to be able to get on. But we're completely distracted by our own fears, our yeah. own prejudices, which all come rushing out and sort of swarm over uh, an occurrence like this.
0: Well, and there's also a a stigma about mental illness that people, you know, I mean, uh, uh, apparently as soon as his mother found out, she's like, well, that sounds about right.
1: You know, this sounds like something
0: that that he could do. And so, you know, like, I'm not blaming her. I'm not saying that she is, you know, that that it's her fault that this happened. But on the other hand, you know, why, why, uh, uh, why wouldn't you have taken care of this? You know, why wouldn't you have maybe looked for, you know, may, and maybe it won't come out that he has had treatment. I don't know, but right. you know, I, I think that there's very possibly something uh, that could have been done more here.
1: Well, I just think that in many cases, it's our own prejudices, our own fears that prevent us from even acknowledging or even becoming aware Uh, of that kind of situation happening in another uh, human being. Because, I mean, again, you know, you have people who feel like, no, this is uh, an issue of gun control, or, you know, there are movie theaters that now want to ban people showing up in costume to these kinds of events. That kind of overreaction and, and misunderstanding. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, the most important thing is that we move forward and we sort of have these cultural mo- movements. We have the opportunity for individuals like that to try to find their own identity, their own social tribe, and to be as open and tolerant and to allow people to kind of enjoy as many different kinds of, of culture as possible. Of so when you go to the, the movies, that we should support all kinds of movies and events. So that it's not just, a you know, one demographic that gets to go to a movie and interact with it like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, right. that later on when you have the sound of music doing that same experience, that that's a good thing, that we should right. have as many of those kinds of experiences as possible.
0: Right, right. Well, on that note, that sounds like the end of another Hey All You right. right here. We're, in, we're ending on a note of tolerance and goodwill.
1: Tolerance, yes. yes. So would you say that uh, we've reached the end of the, the episode that at least in spirit you are a brony?
0: Well, you know, you know what? Maybe I am a brony. We we started talking about tolerance when we ended talking about yeah. tolerance. Two very different kind of topics, but uh, married by a, a singular theme.
1: All right. Well. Here, I'm,
0: I'm willing to hear. Here, here we go. go. i Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank we'll you. will
0: us again next time.
1: Yeah, and, and make sure to, to visit our website. That's Hey All You Zombies, not Hey All You Bronies. Hey com. Give us your feedback. Let us know what kind of things you'd like us to talk about, and see you next week.